Everybody, welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is Joy. Now, you know, as everybody knows, we are loosely a music podcast. However, we do occasionally deviate into other topics. Now, before the record started, Joy was telling me about a great food sandwich story, or she alluded to it, and then, but she wants to tell you all about it. So, Joy, over to you. First of all, I sent Tim a photo, which will go up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I need everyone to witness this. And this, I will not say the local restaurant because it's I'm not going to, you know, it's a local restaurant to me and Tim that is near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put them on blast. This may have been a very new cook or a young cook or someone who's not got knowledge of food, which it kind of is concerning because they made my food, but we're not going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So, Tomorrow is my birthday. Yay, happy birthday. So um, we have admitted to what Tim's age is. Joy is 32 tomorrow. So there's my age. See, there we are. Hot off the presses, everyone. We know you were all dying to know. (laughs) Anyway, so um, my husband and me were like, okay, we'll try to discuss some stuff going on tomorrow. We're not going to be able to celebrate. I have a weekend play with some friends in the near future. We're going on the water park. But he's like, let's have your birthday dinner tonight. Said fine. So we ordered from said local restaurant that Tim is very familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's a big staple in our area. And it's kind of like a deli sandwich general restaurant. Would you agree, Tim? Is that yeah. how you describe it? I mean, they do different stuff. They do like a bowl salad thing that I like. But yes, it's lots of deli sandwiches is their speciality. And I was filling a sandwich. I did a build your own sandwich and I had some macaroni salad with it. So mm-hmm. my husband is not like me and he's very near and dear to his burgers. So he wanted a burger. Fine. Order what you want. Who cares? Right. So... <laughs> When you order a deli sandwich, and I don't know if this is a UK thing or if it's an American thing, but generally think like McAllister's Deli Panera. You always get like a pickle spear on the side. Can you testify to that, Tim? Yeah, it's certainly a US thing. I don't, I've never experienced it in the UK. But yeah, they give you a pickle spear, which typically goes in the dustbin for me. Okay. So I'm a pickle lover, but that's just normal. So we're waiting for our food to come out. They're especially busy. This restaurant is very popular in our area, so it's not shocking. So I was sitting out in the car. Charlie just went in to grab the food, hanging out with my dog, just chilling. And he sends me a message. And this is where I can't keep a straight face because I have not laughed this hard in years. Because I know if you've ever worked in like a restaurant or a retail, you know, when you're covering for a coworker, Tim. Mm-hmm. This waitress was covering for the cook. Bless her soul. So she walks out and she looked at Charlie and went, did you want your pickle spear on the side or on the burger? <laughs> so a pickle spear is like, you know, when you have like a full round pickle and they dice it up into quarters, mm-hmm. that's a pickle spear. So that's what I was asking is normally you get those on the side. That's not normally what you get on the burger. So Charlie looked at the lady and she was like, he's like, it's fine. Like typically those are on the side, but it's <laughs> <laughs> so 
she gave him two pickle spears on the side to make up for the fact that he got him on his burger. So we had this image of like half a pickle, like chopped in half directly on the sandwich. Thankfully, and you guys have got to see the evidence of it. The guy tried to like make it look like pickles that you get on a sandwich up for debate, but they really weren't. And I still wonder if maybe the waitress did that covering for him, but like, if you work at a restaurant, Tim, and it is a normal process for you to put the pickle sphere on the side in that little plastic thing we all use because we use way too much plastic than we ever should in America. Mm-hmm. Debatable, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I just it's the funniest story to me because like Charlie wrote me, he's just like, you will never believe this. And I just had this image of the 16-year-old kid named Kyle in the back. And the waitress too is like, Kyle, what? It's wrong. <laughs> the like this is a normal thing for them, Tim. Every time you've ever seen someone get a sandwich from said restaurant that I won't give the name of, do they always get the pickle spear on the side, Tim? It's a absolutely one hundred percent. And in fact, I'm looking at the picture, and now it makes sense. It is like someone got the pickle spear on the side, cut it into three pieces, and slapped it in the burger. It is bizarre. And it's not like he diced it up like a normal pickle that you get on your burger. No, Kyle. I don't know if his name's Kyle. And I'm sorry if your name's Kyle. That's just what's coming to mind. <laughs> Try his hardest. Either Kyle did it or Susan was like, I have to go out and talk to this customer. I'm going to dice this up real quickly <laughs> and try to smooth it over. And my the reason it's so funny is I've had to cover for co-workers with I don't want to say stupid stuff where were moments where you're like, are you kidding me right now? Tim? You know what I mean? You're like, that's what you did. What? <laughs> and even if this were a younger worker, maybe someone who's not food experience, it's a pretty standard practice with deli sandwiches in America to put the pickle spear on the side. Sure. Anyway, I just died <laughs> laughing. And when you guys see the photo, you'll get it because and I just the poor waitress, that poor waitress, Tim. Have you ever had to cover for a coworker like that before? Yeah, I mean, in various jobs through the years. I will say one thing about said restaurant. So I had an experience at that said restaurant, though it was in my favor. Oh. So Hannah and I went and ate in there and we both had mains and we both had drinks and I estimate with the tax and everything, it's probably 40 bucks or just under. Maybe 35, yeah. 40, something yeah, around Yeah, we spent out 30 bucks, yeah. Yeah, 35, 37, something like that with the tax and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So I asked for the, asked for the check, and he was a very young uh, chap who was serving us. He comes back, he gives me the check, and it was for $13. Now, one of our mains was more than that. So yeah. I don't know what this charge for 13 bucks was. I have no idea. So I left the guy a $10 tip and I signed it and off I went. <laughs> well, Tim asked me, he goes, Joy, I have a dilemma. Was this right? I said, did you give him a good tip? And he said, yes. I was like, then it's fine. They're going to move on with it. Remember you wrote me asking, did I do the right thing? And I'm like, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, well, that's what I thought. He's, he's tilled it up wrong, but. I gave him 10 bucks, which would probably be more than the tip I would have given him if it had been the normal bill. So exactly. It's it's all fine. It, it all works out in the end. Well, in this specific restaurant, Tim can tell you it's also a bar or a pub type area. They're not they're not dying for they're they're making money. Exactly. It's a staple in the area we live. Exactly. And I and I will I will be returning again and if I have to pay full price, so be it. 
I do know though, Tim turn Tim is the one who turned me on to their their taco salad. But I always ask for no olives and no meat. But I will say it is really good. That's yeah, when I know I get, you get there. I get it with almost the same, but with extra olives. See, I'm anti-olive. I'm sorry. Well, here's the problem. I want to like olives, but for some reason it's I just don't. Tim, olives to me are your cucumbers. See, I can I can completely understand where you're coming from. Somebody just listened to this and goes, where the heck is the music? It was a music <laughs> podcast. I wasn't expecting a review of some local restaurant. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's somebody in South Africa listening to this going, um, that's nice and all, but it's not um, good to me. Wasn't this a music podcast? All right. So I think Tim has an idea to change it up. What's your idea, Tim? Yeah, I just thought, you know, we did, we've been doing CD of the week, tip of the week, ask joy, different stuff. And I thought, let's just, let's just mix it up a little bit. So... I've decided that we should do for a little while, we should do music news. Yay! And I don't know whether you need just, to go music news, music news. I, I don't know how that we're works. becoming one of those morning shows, Tim, with like trumpets <laughs> and like blaring It's the it's the morning zoo with uh, Tim and Joy. No, all right. So, what is your music news, Tim? Okay, well, I have I have a couple of stories, but the first one that I wanted to read out this, this happened on the eleventh, so just a couple of days ago. You'll be hearing this um, maybe a few weeks after the fact. But I'm going to publish this to YouTube, so it will go up probably sooner than that. But the sad news that a gentleman called Monty Norman, who <laughs> wrote the James Bond theme, has died, and he was ninety four. Now we did a James Bond episode of the music from james bond a few episodes ago and if you wanted to check that out you can look in your podcast feed on uh, apple podcasts or stitcher or spotify or wherever you get it if you haven't heard that episode but the chap who wrote that iconic theme tune sadly passed it and he was 94 well i mean it sounds like he was around for a while though i'd hate to say that because that's always discredited him but his music will live on tim exactly and he, uh, he performed a variety double hacked with comedian Benny Hill. And then funnily enough, he actually wrote hmm. songs for Cliff Richard, which was the last episode that we posted up. Well, it all comes full circle. But did he save Chris <laughs> Cliff Richard's sandwich? That's now all that, we need to know. <laughs> yeah, that is up for debate. I don't know whether he shared a sandwich with Cliff Richard, whether mm. he saved a sandwich, whether he prepared a sandwich. I know <laughs> the Cliff Richard sandwich story is running and running. It really is. Well, and the debate is, was, was it coffee or was it tea? Because, you know, coffee wasn't invented in England until like last year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, it was, we know when I lived in England, you basically couldn't get coffee. It was, you know, all, all it was was tea. That's all you could get. In all seriousness, though, are there really big coffee drinkers in the UK or is it typically tea? Be honest. No, there are Be big honest. coffee drinkers. He, mm. he, people enjoy coffee and tea in equal measure. Okay, Good. Because, you know, there's a stereotype, but I wasn't sure what the truth was. Glad to know Tim spoke for all of the UK on behalf. Of, <laughs> he's been nominated or knighted. I'm sorry, knighted. To do I'm, that. I'm, a, I'm a hot beverage ambassador. I'll have you know. <laughs> Person who was whining earlier about, is this the music podcast? Is back to like, where's the food coming from? <laughs> <laughs> well, all I right. tell you what, Joy, I'll throw it over to you. You have a music news story for us. All right, guys, this is... This is the hottest news you've ever heard. And if you don't agree with that, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I shared this in my Facebook. And as soon as Tim said music news, everybody stop the presses. Spice Girls are going to reunite with Victoria Beckham. First time since 2012 for Jerry's 50th birthday. What? 
Yes, it's true. So Jerry um, is turning 50. Crazy, right? That they would be old enough. But the hot piece is that Becca, Victoria Beckham is coming back for it. It's going to happen on September 17th. Mm-hmm. And this will be the first time since my favorite, which we've talked about on the podcast when they did the Olympics with the where they rode on the cars and all that stuff. Yeah. No, no, where is this a one off concert, a tour? Yeah, it is a one off concert. It's not a tour. Sadly, um, basically, it's a here's your birthday. We're happy for you. Let me see where it's going to be. It's somewhere in the UK. Probably Wembley or something. Yeah. And she's married to that guy who's like a car race driver. Car race driver. That's what he is, Tim. Car car race driver. (laughs) (laughs) A race car driver. So the the details are still very quiet, but basically it's going to be somewhere in the UK and it's going to be September 17th and it's going to be in honor of her birthday. But so her birthday is, um, it says, Jerry will be the first band, be the first of the band to turn 50, which is very important with her birth being August 6th. And she's already planning special moments for the big day. Um, they're going to do performance together at, um, at her party, wherever her party will be. I wasn't invited. We're mm-hmm. not going to talk about that, Tim. I'm still broken up. Um, but supposedly her party is going to take for place on September 17th. Um, and it'll be a five piece set. The first time since 2012. Mm, exciting. Maybe the maybe, maybe there'll be a live stream. Maybe there'll be some, something like that so you can tune in or it'll be on YouTube. Who, who can say? I'm still um, disappointed that Jerry has to send me my invitation. I wrote her on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, something about leave me alone. I don't know. But I tried. <laughs> I tried to get hot invitation and they wouldn't give it to me. Okay. Well, if if I happen to speak to my uh, Spice Girls people, I'll see what I can do for you, Joy. I don't know. Something about why are you writing me? Please leave us alone. Go away. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) There there you go. I don't know what that means, Tim. Like the suffer debate. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, I have one more last piece of music news that just come in off the press, and you are familiar, obviously, with Alice Cooper. Part of them, yes. And you're you're familiar with the guitarist that Alice Cooper has, Nita Strauss. Are you familiar yes. with Nita Strauss? Yes. Well, Nita She's Strauss fantastic. has been yeah been playing with um, Alice since 2014. She's mm-hmm. probably one of the finest shred guitar players out there at the moment. Certainly in that kind of Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Eddie Van Halen. Well, maybe Eddie Van Halen, but that kind of shred guitar type lineage. She's probably the best there is out there at the moment. Okay. Anyhow, she put on on her Instagram two days ago that she was leaving Alice's band and would not be part of the full tour. Oh, no. She then also cancelled all of her solo dates because she goes out as a solo band with her partner who plays drums. Now, the rumour mills are swirling because apparently she is going to uh, join another band. Now, she didn't say, but the mm. internet has spoken. And apparently she is going to join Demi Lovato's touring band. Huh. Now, the interesting thing. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is prior to this story, I'd never heard of Demi Lovato. Well, that doesn't surprise me. But actually, Tim, did you go back and listen? Well, you just found out. So you probably listen. Demi Lovato's got a great voice. She's an amazing singer. She's actually a Disney star. Yeah, I'd never heard of the name. I wouldn't know what she looked like if she walked in this room. But I can see from Nita's, if this is true, I mean, this is still just a rumor, but 
yeah. this if this is true, I can see why Nita would probably want to do it because you know you're playing with a legacy act like Alice Cooper. I'm sure she plays great venues, gets looked after by Alice. And but you know he's an older guy. How long is that gravy train going to continue? And then a, a, yeah. a, a younger artist who's out there with new music, and you have the option to join their band. I could see why you'd want to do that. Well, and I will say I am not like a big Demi Lovato fan. I know like three or four songs. She's closer to my age range. That's kind of who I why I know who she is. Or let me reset this. They are um, her pronouns are they them. Um, mm-hmm. She recently admitted that. So. They are, um, they started in Barney and Friends, which I know because my age range, and then she was a Disney, uh, they were a Disney um, type artist. And then she actually became famous because they are, her voice is great. I keep saying her. I'm sorry, Demi Lovato goes and it's not on purpose. It's hard for me because I, I, I still think of her as a female pronoun. Mm-hmm. Me and Tim are allies and we would never purposely do anything to me. But they are great. Like if you've never heard Demi Lovato sing Tim, I would I would love you to just go listen to it, whether you like the music or not. Very mm-hmm. talented artist. Okay. Very well, talented artist. Maybe I'll check Demi out. As I said, the, the interesting thing here is that Nita Strauss is someone I'm very familiar with who's um played some great um stuff with Alice and mm-hmm. she also does like national anthems at football events and she was involved with a WrestleMania. There's like someone Nakamura, WWF wrestler, did his opening music or something. I said, so I someone I follow because I like her guitar playing. But the fact that she's going to leave for someone I'd never heard of up to <laughs> up to two days ago, I thought was entertaining. That is kind of entertaining, but it's cool. And I get what you're saying. Demi Lovato is a new upcoming artist, new fresh thing for them to learn, right? Sure, isn't absolutely. that what artists want to do? Exactly. Well, there we go. That, that's our up to the minute music news. Demi, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the show. You could tell Tim what he's missing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. It is Tim's topic tonight. Yes, absolutely. So it's my turn to pick the topic. And I decided to go a little self-indulgent, just a tiny, tiny little bit self-indulgent. But hopefully there'll be enough uh, room for discussion (laughs) and we can then continue sandwich stories or something like that. So it's a music podcast, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this week's topic is great guitar solos. Now, I'm not saying Mm. they're the greatest guitar solos ever because that's up for debate. And in fact, some of the articles I looked at looked at, it was just that Guns N' Roses song you should never speak of. And Hotel California and mm. Bohemian Rhapsody and stuff like that. And, and they're great solos, but I didn't want to get into some kind of debate. What was the greatest? I just wanted to pick out ones which I considered great. Okay. So but what's your you first go. one, Tim? But there you go. So <laughs> I'm starting at the top. This is probably the most self-indulgent one of the, of the bunch, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it anyway. And this is Queen. This is Brian May from Sheer Heart Attack. And this is Killer Queen. I love that you picked this one, though, because I've all the songs. So I don't know if you know about this. So first of all, you're a big Katy Perry fan, right? You like mm-hmm. Katy Perry. You love Katy Perry. Did you know she models her lifestyle of what she imagined the killer queen they were singing about in this song? Have you ever heard her talk about it? No, I never heard her say that. When she that. died, she just wants to be like whatever this killer queen is of this song, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Because, I mean, dynamites and laser beams. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, and if you have to pick something from, like, the 70s, this is one of my top songs. 
Mm-hmm. So I love that you said that, but it also has those. I mean, the 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 thing that makes the dynamites and the labor's beans as you would is the guitar solo because it's got kind of like a very futuristic, almost alien kind of sound to me. I'm not yeah. explaining. So what's what's unique about this solo? So but when Brian May was coming up, he was a big fan of the uh, guitarist Jeff Beck, and mm-hmm. there's a Jeff Beck song called "Hi Ho Silver Lining." And Hi-Ho Silver Lining has a guitar solo in it, which is a little sloppy, but it's fine. But it has two guitar tracks that start to interact with each other. And when he heard mm. that, he was like, wow, listen to those. The way that those was two... like the competing dynamites, the laser beads. Yeah, the two, how the two parts oh. join up. So Brian May's bass his entire style around that, which is stacking guitar parts. Now, in huh. Killer Queen, there I think it's three or four parts. And it starts with the tune, and then there's like these bells that join up, and then mm-hmm. all the parts join up in harmony. And it's just so perfectly beautiful. Well, and Tim has talked about this before. I tend to listen, I'm more of a lyrics person, whereas Tim's more of a music person, I would say, like the actual music. But I have never heard a song that the music played so well with what the lyrics were actually saying. And now that you said that, it makes sense because it literally seems like it's like some. Am I the only person who imagines like an alien or is that just me? I think it may be just you, but that's fine. You can have your alien. Well, I imagine the killer queen is an alien with dynamites <laughs> and laser beams. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is the dynamites and laser beams. I keep making that reference, but because that is so what I hear when I hear the guitar, it's like two things meeting and getting this really cool harmonic sound that Tim's talking about. Now that he explains it to me, I get it. That's really actually cool. I've never thought about it that, but just that's the way my brain hears that song. That first debate. Sure. And then, you know, and what I find is that the more I get into home recording and, and learning how my studio software works and making videos for the internet and stuff like that, the more my guitar sounds like Brian May by stacking guitar parts. But <laughs> I think it, it just happens. Just happens. I don't know how that works, but it just happens. Organically, it's just naturally happening. So I need to know do any of our other audience members assume that Killer Quint's about an alien or is that just me? <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I always assumed it was an alien i mean you could be Fatable. right I, I i would imagine being it's a freddie mercury lyric it's probably about sort of aristocracy aristocracy and things like that but i don't know you could be right he might have been writing about well, I mean, it's literally a queen so it probably is like aristotic <laughs> kind of like medieval but for some reason the sound of the guitar and like just the things they're saying give me a futuristic feel and maybe aliens not the room but you know what i'm talking about to like a very futuristic kind of sound i guess is what i mean Exactly. All right. Well, that was not scientific. What's the next song? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, the next one I'm going to go for is Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page. And this is the song Heartbreaker. Now, as you know, in Heartbreaker, there is a bit in the middle where most of the band stops and it's just Jimmy Page Mm -hmm. wailing away. And that's that breakdown. seems like a very long time, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, and he's wailing away. And the reason I picked this song, much how Brian May was influenced by Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen heard that breakdown section mm. and loved it, couldn't work out how he was playing it just regularly with a pick, and then worked out, well, hang on a minute, he's hitting that extra note. Maybe if I tapped it with my other hand, I could get that sound. Oh. And that is where he claimed the genesis of his two-handed tapping technique came from. Well, I would have never guessed that. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, that's a story I read in a guitar magazine, but I've I've heard that in interviews as well. 
I mean, it makes sense, though, because you think about it once again, it's kind of like a layering of sound that I would have never picked out until you said, you know what I mean, Tim, until you say Mm -hmm. it. Now I'm like, okay, that makes sense. It's almost like, guys, there's an actual rhyme and reason behind what they're doing on the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. But no, I mean, I'm glad you picked Heartbreaker, too, because like it's one of their less known songs, which I actually really like this song. But have you ever played this song, Tim? Because I feel like it'd be hard for I don't know. Is it easy to pick up on? The riff itself. Yeah. I mean, that's dead easy. I, I've jammed it at jam nights and stuff like that because it, it's yeah. really just that riff. And then I think it changes key. The middle section, probably not. But I, I've I've winged my way through it. It's not in, in its simplest form. It's not that difficult to play. But, you mm. know, if you play it note for note, there's that whole piece in the middle. And I'd say the like middle that. part just seems like I, I was joking about it. it. Seems like it goes on for a while, but it does. I can't imagine trying to play that note for note. But. Do you really need to play a guitar solo? Okay, Tim, here's your um your expertise. Like, I feel like if you're playing a song that has a guitar break in it, you don't really need to play whatever the original artist played in the guitar break because the audience is just there for like the theatrics of it anyway. Like, it, I don't it, really it, feel like you need to. It depends. Mm. I think some solos need to be played more or less note for note because it's all it's so integral with the song. If mm. he was playing, like as I said, Bohemian Rhapsody, you have to play yeah, that solo note true. for note. If you're playing Hotel California, you probably need to play that solo note for note. Some pieces that you play, you can sort of hint at it that it's roughly the same. You get some of the hooks in there and it's enough. But if you, there are some songs where if the guitar player in a cover band will wail away in the solo section and it just sounds wrong. Hmm. So that's interesting. It also depends on how early in the night and how many drinks the audiences have, I would imagine. I'm kidding, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that has something to do with it. I mean, that's, that's valid. <laughs> <laughs> you see where my brain went. Well, I mean, I think it probably depends on, like, you're right. If it's a song that everybody knows heart for heart, like, you know what I mean? Like you're saying, Bohemian Rhapsody. Everybody's going to know that word for word and know exactly what it's supposed to sound like. But if it's a little bit less known of a song, I imagine it, like you said, you just hint at it and maybe they won't pick up. Exactly. Exactly. And if it's like 8 a.m. versus 12 a.m., you know, the crowd might be a different thing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Anyway, what's next, Tim? Okay, so this one is Aerosmith. And it's the song Janie's Got a Gun. Now, we spoke about Janie's Got a Gun, I think, on a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I don't remember why it came up, but I'm very familiar with the song. Yeah. Now, what's I, what's unique about this song is that in the video, he is playing a black Les Paul with EMGs, Gibson guitar. Mm-hmm. And it has a very unique sound to it. And it never sounded like he was playing a Gibson Les Paul at all. And then when I looked into it, when I was researching this, and I thought I knew this, but my research for this episode confirmed it, he is actually playing in the solo an electro-acoustic guitar. Well, that's probably why it has a different sound. It does change, like, sounds. So, Tim, when Tim talks about sometimes, sometimes I just bring him up, like, the lyrics or whatever to kind of refresh my brain. Mm-hmm. I want you guys to know, I just Googled Janie's kind of Aerosmith, and the genre on Google is labeled children's music <laughs> i'm i'm gonna take a picture as evidence because if you guys know anything about jd's got a gun what is her daddy it, it, it's not about children's music that that is weird i tell you <laughs> i'm serious 
I took a picture. It's evidence. I have evidence. See, I do. I do things not like not for that song, but I do because I maintain my own iTunes library with my own MP3s yeah. that I've ripped and stuff. Sometimes I put comedic things in the genre field for my, my own entertainment, but I don't <laughs> think they do that on Google. So no, like, and I know exactly what you're talking about. So I used to, I joke about it's funny that I ended up doing a podcast with Tim because when I was in high school. And I was the youngest person in this. When Yahoo Chat was a thing, I was part of a group that was just a music trivia group. Mm-hmm. And everybody in that music trivia group was from the UK. I'm kind of convinced that some of your friends may have been people who was music trivia back there in the 2000s. Anyway, not could, we don't know be. for sure, but it's possible. So, and, and what it would do is somebody would host and they'd play the music through their sound card so like the audio was good and people would guess the songs. Well, every once in a while, because we were downloading off of things like LimeWire and Kazaa, you'd get a mislabel. And I one time got one tip and I felt so bad about it. I thought for sure it was going to be like a funny version of Axl Rose singing a different song than it was. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? That's the original. And I was so disappointed. So when I saw that children's music, label, <laughs> that's all I could think of. Anyway, I took a picture for photographical evidence. It happens. It says genres, children's music, comma, pop, comma, rock. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I, the song's about guns. <laughs> like JD literally has a gun. To <laughs> Not that this anything to do with the guitar solo, but you know. Good, good goodness me. <laughs> I will say though, this song back to the guitar solo. What you just said makes sense though, because it does have a very just dis- it. It, the sound is very different from the actual song to when he's doing the solo. But there's a difference in like the way it sounds. Yeah, it's a, it's an acoustic guitar plugged in is what it is. Mm. So it is, I think that there's probably some kind of electric guitar effects on it or compression or something like that. But it doesn't, it, it sounds incredibly unique. And I'd always wondered all through the years why it had mm. that sound. And that's what it and- is. Well, I don't know. I've wondered that too. And now you answered. Also, Jane has got a gun that's going to be on my head for the next six years. So the Marty hearing, what did her daddy in my brain? So that's, it's gone. That's all I'm going to hear for the next year. It's an earworm. It's an earworm. At least it's not Wilson Phillips's hold on, which just entered well, my brain when I was thinking that. Good. Thanks, Tim. It wasn't until you said it. <laughs> and I was there, which I love that song. And it always makes sense in the movie Bridesmaids. All right. What's the next one? <laughs> okay. So I couldn't have a guitar solo episode without having one of the greatest guitar. Maybe solo is not the right word. Guitar part, guitar figure, I suppose. Moment in time. Okay. And this is played by Jeff Baxter. And Jeff Baxter was a session guitar player and he famously played in Steely Dan, very accomplished uh, guitar player in many genres of music. However, I consider this his finest work. It's very small and it only happens for a second or two, but I consider this his finest work. This is Dolly Parton's nine to five. (laughs) Of course. I mean, would there be anything that like if you play on a Dolly song, it will forever be your life's work, Tim. Nothing will compare. Exactly. And the bit I mean in the song, it's I think it's the uh, second verse. And then the guitar part goes doodle. And it's the only it only appears once. Yep. And I don't know. I think Jeff Skunkback's a session guitarist, member of Steely Dan extraordinaire. 
I think he peaked at that point. At that moment. <laughs> so my favorite part about that song, though, is, well, that is cool for Mr. Jeff Beck. But when she wrote it, she wrote it on her nails. So those yeah. who don't know that that tape, the typewriter song, that's supposed to sound like that. She played it on her nails to get, and that's how she got that. Every time she would hear the duh, that's her hitting her literal acrylic nails together to get that sound. So for me, that's really cool because I play the ukulele and a lot of times the ukulele sounds, they'll hit the ukulele right to them. To get a certain sound. So she basically did that, but she was thinking in the movie, you know, it's about people working in office. She wanted something that sounded like a typewriter. And you hear her talk about it. She just went, she just, she plays on her nails. That's how the whole rhythm for that entire song came to be. And it is a fantastic song, as we've, we've covered before. The video is amazing. There's a lot of like mullets going on. There's a lady there um, doing backing <laughs> vocals. There's a dude with a legal pad just tapping it for no apparent reason. It's, it's, brilliant I, I i can't even begin to tell you how great it is and what i always think is kind of interesting tim and i don't know and this could be once again like my brain that thinks killer queens about aliens but that's up for debate um, <laughs> um you know that that sound where she's hitting her nails we're talking about it's sounding like you know the the typewriter it also reminds me of a ticking of a clock yeah, it, it does, and I suppose because it's it, nine to five. Yeah, if you, yeah, because you know, if you're working nine to five, typically you are looking at the clock because you can't wait till it's five o'clock and you can go we home. We wouldn't do that, Tim. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I literally work nine to five every day. But anyway, so <laughs> but that I was thinking about. It. I was like, yes, it works as a typewriter, but I don't even know if she's or she meant for it to come that way. But it's also the exact rhythm to the ticking of a clock. There we Genius. are. Genius. The genius of Dolly and yet another uh, tick on your bingo card if you follow along. And the guitar, what did you say his name was? Jeff Skunk Baxter. He, he was a I said, session guitarist extraordinaire and a member of Steely Dan. See, and that Mr. Jeff, I'm sorry. There will just, there's nothing that will compare. Nothing will compare to that moment. There we go. Fabulous. <laughs> All right. Well, let me, let me go into the next song. So this one. This is a solo on a Carpenter's song, Goodbye to Love. Are you familiar with that? I am. My mom's and, a big Carpenter's fan. Yeah, and it's a um, it's an interesting sound because normally when you play guitar, I mean, it's different now with the, the way equipment's different, but it's only back then. You would plug into a guitar amplifier, you stick a microphone in front of it, and the sound of the amp, speaker, and guitar is your sound. This, he plugged directly into the mixing desk, which at the time was a very unusual way of doing it. And it has a very hot, overdriven, clipping type of sound to it. The guitarist who played that solo was a guy called Tony Paluzzo. And in hmm. fact, if you look on his Wikipedia entry, it says he, that's like the first thing about it. He was, um, he was their lead guitarist. He was also a record producer. But like the thing that he's famous for is the fuzzy solo on Goodbye to Love. Huh. I mean, so I just have to ask you, Tim, and this has nothing to do with the guitar or nothing to do with it's not the carpenters. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they kind of their eyes are very strange looking? <laughs> Did you ever see the picture of the carpenters? Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen the Richard Carpenter. I've seen their videos. I'm a big fan of calling occupants of interplanetary craft. I've seen that video a hundred times. I've their never eyes are really, terrifying. I've never really spent a lot of time looking into their eyes. 
Well, to be fair, I do think they they did have a drug problem. But we're like addicted to quaaludes at one point, from what I understand. But their photos sometimes are really scary to me. Hmm. I like the music. And they're they're really talented. Like their songs are great. I don't want to get mad at and they're they're known for their because you know, anytime you have two siblings, you're gonna get great harmonies, you're gonna distinct, they've got that soft musical sound. And she's a counter, um, she's like a counter counter alto, so she's not really an alto, but she's not really a soprano. She's somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I mean they started when they were young too, right? Like 14, 15 years old or something. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'd be a mate, but I just look at their eyes sometime, everybody. Okay. That's all well, I'm I, saying. Well, I, I will be making sure to look at a carpenter's video, stare into their <laughs> eyes and see their soul. However, it may have to be during a rewatching of Calling, Calling Occupants of Interplanetary Craft, which is the carpenter's finest work, nice in moment. my opinion. It was. I can agree with that. And maybe it could just be that their photos are all old. <laughs> and so it's just the art, the artwork. I don't know. I don't know. But my mom's a big, my mom was a big Carpenters fan. So I heard them very much going up and they're super musically talented. Don't like each of them play like five different instruments or something crazy. Yeah. And then Karen Carpenter, I mean, you know, so a lot of people mm-hmm. would consider Karen Carpenter a token drummer, but no, she was an amazing drummer. Yeah, but she didn't just play the drums. She played like the piano. She mm-hmm. played like, like I mean, if you go look at, she played like seventeen instruments, and she's like got like three out. She's is a counter alto, but she's got like she can sing it like three octaves, which is like unheard of for an alto. Sure. So as much as I was trying to, I also think they're fantastic. She's known as a great vocalist, like one of the best of all time. Sadly, she ended up dying of like heart failure, though. I I, th- I think I think she struggled with um, um, bulimia or, or or some kind of she eating had, disorder. Um, she was anorexic. She had that, an eating disorder. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. But t- terribly sad. Terribly sad. Sadly, being in the part and and that's why I feel bad now. What I said, being in the public eye is hard. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, not that I would know. You know, with the extent of the podcast, not really in the public eye, but it seems very hard. Well, Joy, you, I mean, you are in the public eye. I mean, you know, this, uh, this little podcast that we make in our uh, respective uh, houses is an international I mean, thing. Fair. There's people that listen to it. I mean, it's, it's it just, yeah. Look at me, caught above and beyond. But in all seriousness, it probably is really hard. And sadly, she died very young. Yeah. All right. So now that we took that, took a sad turn, Tim, what's the next song? <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> This, uh, which one should I pick? Okay, so this one is by a The Who. Suite. Okay. And as we know, Pete Townsend is not a guitar player who is known for guitar solos. He is the master of the rhythm guitar. He, he took rhythm guitar to a new level. He was, uh, and as we've discussed before, The Who was an odd band where so much the bass player was the lead guitarist. Pete was really the drummer, and then Keith was like everything else. He was like the orchestra yeah. on top of it. And it, and it, it was weird but it worked. But sometimes Pete, especially in later years, would play solos, but certainly Mm -hmm. during the classic era of The Who, it was not common for him to play a solo. But the the song that I've picked is I Can See For Miles. Now, the solo in it is quite unique. It's one note. That's all it is. It's just one note. Did you pick this song in spite of me, Tim? You know my feelings about this song. I know. (laughs) Well, I was pick. I picked it 
I picked it because, because for the fact it was unique because it was P and it was one note. Hmm. The song can go for miles and miles and miles. <laughs> <laughs> so those who have not been around for long, I make a joke about. It's actually not a bad song. And I know what he's talking about. It's unique sounding. And that's what stands out. Because for those who don't know it, literally the song goes, I can go for miles and miles. And it does. It has like a really cool like one note sound that strums and just stays, which works for the I can go for miles. Right. It plays with the song. So I know why Ted picks it. But when I used to work at a previous job, I had to hear that song now nonstop. And I would come home every day and all I would hear was in my brain, I can go for miles and miles. (laughs) (laughs) But that is, I mean, I guess it was effective because it still does stand out to me to be very distinct in that way. Right, Tim? Like it's almost so monotone in a good way. Sure. I mean, there are other other lyrics to it, but yeah, the refrain of I can see for miles and miles and miles is the bit that everyone remembers. But as I said, check next time you listen to it, just check out the the lead guitar break. It is literally just one note. (laughs) And when Pete gets that note going, he just doesn't let it go. Well, and no, but I, I think that's kind of cool, though, because they, the whole point of the song is going on and on and on, or I can see for on and on and on. So that note, just like, I think that's what makes a really good kind of whenever the music can. So how do I say this without sounding dumb? Hold on. I think that they did a good job of taking what the song is trying to express and making it work really well with the person playing it. Okay. So while I make the joke, you know, about I can see for miles and miles and miles, like it's stuck in my head forever. That one note just barreling and going for miles and miles and miles and miles is perfect. It's it's music genius, whether it annoys me or not. <laughs> Does that make sense, though? Because there is a whole thing about, like, seeing through the haze, something about a smile, because smiles rhyme with smile. That's <laughs> all I remember. Well, at least it's not um, rhyming Christmas time with mistletoe and wine. That is iconic. It will never be left out. <laughs> the moment I realized, I was like, is this song called something about mistletoe and wine? And then as soon as I heard Christmas time, and then the next lyric was mistletoe and wine. I was like, that's some great rhyming skills. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, Joy, when, uh, when we post the episodes, so there's a little insider business here. When we post the episodes, when they go live, <laughs> I always download them and listen to them. Because I one, I want to hear how we can make the podcast better. And if anything, I you know I try and listen to it completely objectively. It's best as you can when you when it's you. But you know I try to listen to it objectively. And the other thing is I want to listen for if there's any technical faults in it because if if during the editing process or during the stuff I do with the files I made a mistake, I want to be able to pull that podcast and redo it and put it back up again. Of course. Anyhow, I listened to it today. <laughs> And there's my, my two takeaways of the Cliff Richard episode. One, Cliff Richard sandwich and all of the business about his sandwich and people who have written to us and commented on our posts about Cliff Richard sandwich. It, it's, you know, I want to get a bumper sticker made that says Cliff sandwich or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a thing. So that was my one takeaway from the Cliff Richard my episode too. that posted today. And then it's Christmas time and, and wine. mistletoe and wine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that was the other thing. You, you was, you was very pleased with the rhyming of Christmas time 
and mistletoe and wine. And that... <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it because Tim told me, listen to this mistletoe, wine. I don't know what the name of the song was. Something Christmassy. And then I was like, wait a second. But my favorite part, though, Tim is right. I go back and listen to every episode. And it used to be I had this problem with, oh, I don't want to hear myself. Tim, you, you get over it. It's fine. Yeah. Once you hear yourself a thousand times, you know what you sound like. You know, sometimes you sound like an idiot. It is what it is. But <laughs> I was like, I listen. There's occasionally certain parts of the episode that when I know where it's going, if it makes me laugh the next time I listen back to him, I know it's a great episode. <laughs> that one made me laugh. <laughs> for 10 minutes straight and then when people start writing me about i'm worried about Cliff, Cliff Richardson, <laughs> i was like iconic i mean it brings up there with stevie nicks that one's up there tim and um meat raffles yes absolutely maybe 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 cliff got the content for his sandwich from a meat raffle and it was it's given possible. to him by stevie nicks i mean the whole thing could just all come together and then there was the debate about how do they um, <laughs> use their ovens in Europe? And is it on like, because we use Fahrenheit and Tim's like, I don't know what I'll cook. <laughs> <laughs> that one was pretty iconic too. Yeah, and the gas Those marks. The top. And, yeah, exactly. Well, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. That's a little insider of the behind the scenes of the No Name Music Arts Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. All right. Mr. Cliff Richard, if you're listening and you know what happened to the sandwich, please tell us. Yeah, if you could, we just like to get this one, you know, get put this one to bed once and for all. A sandwich 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 you ate in the drink. Yeah, a sandwich you ate in 1958 or something. You could just on let a, us know. That would be fantastic. On a bus. <laughs> My favorite part is like, as he's driving the bus towards France, the people start looking more and more French. Like you start seeing people wearing berets. This guy's got like a big thing of bread. <laughs> like Sam, the shirts become more and more like it couldn't be more cliche. <laughs> All right, Tim, what, what about guitar and solos and something about something music? Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's try and steer this one back onto the topic of uh, great guitar solos. Steer like you're driving a bus. Continue. Okay. So this one is it's a Beatles track, and it's Taxman. Now the unique thing about Taxman is that the sound of the guitar solo in it, a lot of people will tell you it's george harrison it has a very much of a george harrison sound of mm-hmm. the era george harrison later on in his career got into playing a lot of slide guitar and his tone did mellow a little bit but around this era he had a very kind of spiky attack to his sound and the way that he phrased the notes and stuff like that and taxman has the guitar solo that sounds very much like that however it was not george harrison it was paul mccartney who no. played the guitar solo on taxman did George Harrison write Taxman? Because I was always I, under the understanding he did. Yes, yes, he did. And okay. um, he wrote the song, you know, working on the song. And apparently he was mm-hmm. not too fussed who played the solo. And Paul was around. And Paul's like, oh, I could probably play a lead on that. And he's like, yeah, Paul, you take it. It's fine. I mean, I, I don't know that I ever really knew enough to know that people thought it was George Harrison playing. Because I'm not that much of a, a guitar person that I would have picked up on that. But I just knew that he wrote it. Or I was under the understanding he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
I mean, it's a cool song. And also it's very UK-ish to complain about tax people. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, at the time, the government that was in power at the time were taxing the rich incredibly heavily. And mm-hmm. I think it was estimated that the Beatles were, were had to give up around 90% of their income. 95%. I've always heard taxes. 95%. Yeah. And I think like, later on, I could have been it could have been around the same year. I'm not entirely sure, but the Rolling Stones all went to live in the south of France and wrote an album called In Exile because for the same reason because they were just being utterly taxed to death. And that's why we in America just had to throw all that tea in the ocean. <laughs> there, there we are. I mean, and, and even now, um, taxes in the UK tend to be a lot higher than they are in the yeah. US. Well, and that's we're not going to get into politics. I think that the sweet spot somewhere is probably in the middle, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a whole thing about maybe we aren't paying enough. They're paying too much. Somewhere is the sweet spots probably in the middle, like everything else. But yeah, I've always heard 95% is what they were taxed, but I've never really Googled that to find out if that were true or not. I always thought it's kind of like, you know, we're as popular as Jesus <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of quotable things with the uh, with the Beatles, but uh, but yeah, that 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 is correct. Yeah, it's one of those things though. I feel like the Beatles are one of those things that like people have a lot of assumptions about, but when you go back and you start googling, maybe they're not 100 percent correct at all times. But that's, I mean, when you're the what's known as the what the most popular rock band of all time, that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I often say this in the. You know, we, we spoke of Demi Lovato earlier and we, you know, mm-hmm. we've spoken of other artists like that. Now, you know, they, they may be having a great career right now and they may be very popular and selling millions of records. But let me tell you, 50 years, 100 years, no one's going to have heard of Demi Lovato. But I tell you who in 100 years time, who they're going to be talking about. It's the Beatles. And I mean, with good reason. But I will say, I was, me and Tim talked about this from one of the podcasts. It was one of my episodes where I talked about like, like, you know, like maybe like the good, the bad, the ugly of artists. I can't remember what the specific title was. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting when you start learning about John Lennon as a person. He's very different than you think he would be. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. He, he was, I get the impression that he was not necessarily a good person. He was aggressive. Like there was like one time me and him. So there's two different things I remember we talked about on the episode. But the one that stood out to me was him just randomly walking up and punching a guy in an airport. Yeah. No one knows why. But you know what? It makes you also wonder, Tim, drugs. Sure. But, you know, know. as we've said before, I mean, when we spoke about Clapton and his racist rants, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was drunk because on drugs. But I mean. I've been drunk. I, I, I don't come out with like hideously offensive stuff. I, it's you know it's that that stuff has to be in there to begin with. But on the flip side, I have this theory in my head, and I've not it has not been con- disconfirmed. Paul McCartney is like the nicest human being in the world. I, I don't disagree with that. He is the sweetest guy ever. And I actually love this time when he was talking about John Lennon and we were talking about, you know, because he lives, I think he tends to live in America more now than he does in Well, the his UK. wife is from the US. He has a farm mm-hmm. in Rye, which is like in the south of England. But I think he does spend some of his time in the United States as well. 
Well, somebody was talking to, I think he might, I don't know if he's a citizen. He's, he's here enough that they were asking his opinion on like the political landscape of America. Mm-hmm. And somebody was talking about gun rights and he goes, well, you know, I can talk about that firsthand. I lost a, I lost a dear friend to gun right to like a gun issue. And it mm-hmm. dawned on me what he was talking about. And I was like, that's so smart. But like every time I hear him talk or when I see him or everything, he seems like the nicest human being in the world. Exactly. And also, can I say McCartney, who is 80, played for over two hours at Glastonbury. Yeah, I saw that. And it looked awesome. Also, but I have a theory that Ringo is really nice, too, though I can't I... confirm or deny it. Ringo is Ringo. That's probably a better way of saying it. Like, I don't think he's mean, but he's very specific. Yeah, he, he like he won't sign things and mm-hmm. things like that. He he. <laughs> He does a thing on his birthday where he gets everyone to say peace and love at 12 o'clock. That, that's the thing he likes. He does an Instagram live and everyone says peace and love. And everyone around the world says it at the same time. And it makes him very happy. Now, I watched <laughs> the one two years ago live because it fell on a weekend and they, they, they it was coming up to the time. And he said, oh, we said, we're, ne- we're nearly done. He said, um, he said, well, it's 12 o'clock, peace and love. He said, he said, well, he said let's, let's do it to my watch. He said, he's, he said, it's probably the most expensive. See, but that doesn't mean that he's like, I'm thinking of like a good guy. Like, I don't want to say like, I think he's a good guy. I think he's like a genuine person. Whereas from what I'm getting about John Lennon, he was kind of cracked in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then certainly if you watch the uh, Beatles anthology video series mm-hmm. that came out in the 90s, he was the most straightforward of all the Beatles. I will say, though, the best thing I've ever read was there was this book. It's this lady who used to work at Apple Records, Miss Odell or Miss something. And I am not I like to read, but I don't have as much time to read as I want to. And Tim's like me. Sometimes we want to read, but we're not readers. Naturally, we've talked about Tim's not a big reader either. Mm-hmm. Um, but that book, that story is so interesting when she worked at Apple Records and she was one of the ladies who's sitting on the the most famous, I think one of the most famous rooftop, you know, the get back rooftops concert mm-hmm. of all time. Her insights, 10 out of 10, would recommend that book to anyone, even if you don't like to read it. If you just want to do an audible book, it, it, she talks about um different artists she came in contact with because you know the only, it wasn't just the Beatles on Apple Records yes it was their record studio and that's the biggest but I mean she talks about like Eric Clapton and just like people that were so huge in that time and she talks about like different things that they would do to get the sounds they needed on the albums like recording in the bathroom and just like different interactions and she even goes into detail when um George Harrison went in his big spiritual type thing and you know his wife and then you got Stella McCartney here and she was it's like a whole thing but that book if you've never read it i will post it i will find it i will send it to everyone stand by it's one of the most interesting books to give you like kind of what you think when maybe you could be right or wrong about the beatles there we go well that, that's a that's that's a tip of the week right there for you joy's book tip maybe that'll be something we, we'll expand at the beginning of the show joy's book tips i don't well, know and I'm not sponsored by any. I can't even remember the name of the lady. I guess it's like Miss Odell or something. Okay. I mean, what are how cool would it have been Tim to work at Apple Records? I mean, it'd been absolutely fantastic. Like, what are the chances? And I'm she's not the only one, I'm sure. But if you look, you know, when you look against the wall of the get back, because if you're like me, you've seen that concert where they're on the rooftop a mm-hmm. thousand times. There's like three people. There's like someone with Yoko Ono, a woman sitting right beside Yoko Ono, and then I don't remember who the rest of them are. It's her. She's okay. the woman sitting directly right there against the wall. Okay. Yep. Great book. Great book. I found it one day randomly at a Barnes and Nobles. 
There we go. Because <laughs> that's where you find books. That makes sense, Joy. I don't know why nobody needs to know that. All right, well, let's back to the show. <laughs> okay, well, let me pick another guitar solo out. So this one is Stevie Wonder, and it's the song Maybe Your Baby from the album Talking Book. Now, I don't think this was necessarily a single but it opens mm-hmm. the album Talking Book, and it is an yeah. absolutely fantastic Stevie Wonder track. The whole of Talking Book is amazing, but this is a this opens the album, and it is just absolutely superb. Now, the interesting thing about the guitar solo on this song, and in fact, some of the other guitar parts on this album, is it was played by a young session guitarist at the time who was part of Stevie Wonder's band, and that would be Ray Parker Jr. Yeah. Yep. And Ray Parker Jr., of course, went on later to uh, write and perform the iconic Ghostbusters theme. Well, and he was on a quite a he was on quite a few different people's like like he's performed with quite a few different other people besides himself, of course, and Stevie Wonder, from what I understand. Yeah, he was a he was a very accomplished session guitar player mm-hmm. at that time, and he played on lots of recordings. Um, but probably his most famous work is with Stevie Wonder. If if you wanted to sort yeah. of cherry pick um, some of the session work that he's done, well, I've heard he was like he was with like I know he's at the Supremes at one point, and that mm-hmm. kind of kind of I feel like he did a lot of the stuff with the Motown kind of sound, which makes sense why he would have eventually wrote the you know um, Ghostbuster song. But is there something about the Ghostbusters song samples another song where I go crazy? No, what happened is that Huey Lewis and the News Mm. were down to make the Ghostbusters theme. They, okay. they, the, the studio had them down to do it. However, they had just done The Power of Love for Back to the Future, and they wanted to be sort of distance themselves from Huey Lewis because they didn't want the two films to be intertwined. They wanted, they wanted to be its own separate thing because they both sense. released about the same time. So they got Ray Parker Jr. involved. And I don't know whether Ray Parker Jr. heard the original demo or something like that, mm. but effectively he just made almost a copy of Huey Lewis and the News' I Want a New Drug. They're effectively the same song apart from the lyrics. That's what it is. You're right. Okay. And then what happened is that Huey Lewis sued Ray Parker Jr., but it was settled almost immediately out of court because, you know, Ghostbusters was going to be this big, huge film. They didn't want Mm -hmm. a lawsuit clouding it, and they didn't want it to get in the press. So some money changed hands, some things were signed, and it was never spoken of again. And part of the deal is that they were never allowed to speak about it. Now, See, I remember bar, something like that. But, however, they did a um, behind the music, VH1 behind the music with Huey Lewis and the News. And he made the mistake of mentioning this lawsuit, mm-hmm. which breached the terms. So Ray Parker Jr. successfully sued Huey Lewis for talking about the lawsuit. That's what it was, because I watched that. Because my mom's a big VH1 fan. I watched a lot of VH1 growing up. I knew there was something. I just couldn't remember what it was specifically. Yeah, it, it's, it's like he, 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 he sued the guy he ripped his song off from. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, at least he, you know, he's successful, Tim. If you're going to do it, you might as well do it for real. <laughs> um, no, I mean, but uh, Ray Parker Jr., I've always heard he's played on like thousands of songs. Um, but I always I, I can't I can't think of him without just thinking of the mustache. Do you sure. know somebody is like weird that mustache? Yeah, absolutely. 
that's all I think of. I don't know about his guitar skills. I don't know about any ghosts he was afraid of. All I know <laughs> is he had a mustache. <laughs> I must, uh, if you want classic 80s Ray Parker no, Jr. I thought you were going to be like, I must ask you a question. I'm <laughs> Continue. <laughs> no, not even I'm that corny, honestly. <laughs> okay, well, I was. <laughs> well, I was just going to say on the Ray Parker Jr. topic, I highly recommend you watch the music video for Ghostbusters if you haven't seen it recently. Mm-hmm. It is a slice of 80s life like you wouldn't believe. It has stars of the day in it. They're in Times Square. The Ghostbusters yep. are in it. It is just amazing. I it's one of the I, I don't often watch a lot of music videos and stuff on YouTube. I prefer to listen to music than to watch it on the whole. But Same. there are some certain videos and certain live performances I really enjoy. And once in a while, I have to pull that up if I haven't seen it for a while because it is so good. I mean, and it's like him and you got Bill Murray and like they're right behind him and they're all wearing the little jumpsuits mm-hmm. and they're walking through and they're like, they've got little dance moves and stuff. I don't remember it all that well, but I remember the pieces. I need well, to go back. Well, there we are. That's uh, that, that's my that's my uh, YouTube tip of the week for you. We literally didn't speak of Stevie Wonder at all. <laughs> Not once. But we love you, Stevie. All right, what's the next song? <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to do a couple more before we wrap up this episode. So this is uh, the Rolling Stones. And, of course, the guitar player is Keith Richards. Um, and the I've song is him, Gimme, yeah. Gimme Shelter. Now, mm. what's unique about Gimme Shelter is a number of things. One, it's in the Knight Rider episode, Goliath. Two, it's my favorite Rolling Stones song of all time. But more importantly from that, from a guitar geek perspective, it's one of the very few Rolling Stones songs that's played as a full band that only has Keith Richards on it. And the reason is Brian Jones had just left the Mm. Rolling Stones and Mick Taylor was not yet a member of the Rolling Stones, who was the guitar player who initially replaced him. And so all the parts on Gimme Shelter, the rhythm and the leads are all Keith. Now, Keith typically is not a soloist. I mean, yeah, he played the riff to Satisfaction and he's played solos on some songs, but um, he's not he's more known as the they call him the human riff because, you know, his style that he plays. So to play all the lead guitar parts and stuff is is unique on a Stone song. And that's that's why I picked this one as, as a great guitar solo. Well, and I find that interesting. The one thing I always think of when I think of the Rolling Stones is I don't, I mean, we talk a little bit about Queen doing this, but the Rolling Stones lyrics and the sound are usually much more deep than like, I think people realize. Sure. They have very, and so the guitar parts on this work so well, well for this song because it's a deep song. Like, I don't know, because this is from the, the Let It Bleed album, which would have been like late sixties. Um, but, you know, it's usually Jagger and Richards. They're like a co-writing team. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, like every if you go back and you actually read the lyrics to any Rolling Stone songs, they're quite deep, deeper than I think that people realize. Maybe oh, it's just me who thinks that, but I. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I mean, I, I think Jagger is a primary lyric songwriter, I think, mm-hmm. though. I, I don't know quite how they collaborate. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Lots of themes, lots of topics are covered. I mean, they, they have their their share of, you know, I love her and she loves me and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, they, but yeah, a lot of the themes in the songs do go a lot deeper than you would think they would. Well, and this song's literally about war, right? Like, Gimme mm-hmm. Shelter's about war. 
I don't know all the details. There's a lot of dark themes in their music, but I think what's interesting and what is important is the music, the lyrics to it, the songwriting and the guitarist, they they portray that very well in a way that they can package it for the masses. Does that make sense, Tim? Sure. Because if you just write a song that's about war and it's a little intense, you might not get a general public one to hear it. But for some reason, the Rolling Stones were able to take crossing those lines. We've talked about other artists who've done this and they're not alone in this and make it a pop hit or a rock hit or a pop rock hit, right? Because it just Mm -hmm. made popular rock music at the time um, and put it in a package that is different and it goes out on the radio and it might even fly under the radar in some ways. And that's what I think of when I think of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I I think, I think you've hit the, uh, hit the nail exactly on the head there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's for sure. I mean, I I don't talk to Mick Jagger all the time. He won't call me back, but just a theory. Well, there there we are. I've I've told my Jerry Hall story on the podcast before, so (laughs) I I, I don't need to, I don't need to reiterate that one. The other thing of course with Gimme Shelter is it has that absolutely amazing backing backing vocal from Mary Clayton. Clayton did. Yep. Um, and she's got a great voice. Like it sounds so perfect. It's like I don't know, it's it sounds dark, but it doesn't at the same time. And I think her voice is so pretty on it that it makes it it's just almost haunting. Yeah, and there's a bit in in current recording techniques, they would have recut mm-hmm. this piece, but you know, things were a lot rawer back then. And yeah. then when she's singing that backing vocal, her voice pops or croaks. Mm-hmm. And you hear Jagger in the background go, Woo! <laughs> and if you listen closely, you can hear that in the background. Just as her voice cracks, mm-hmm. he says that. And it's, as I said, these days you would go back and recut it. But I'm, I'm glad they left it in because it's just so real. I mean, I guess it's for me, it's such a moody song. It makes it feel more real when that kind of stuff happens. Exactly. We talked about when Janis Joplin had that kind of thing to her voice, too, and it wouldn't have worked any other way. Yeah. Same thing. All right, Tim, what's your next song? Okay, well, I'll close out the episode with this song. Um, This is Lindsay Buckingham. And Lindsay Buckingham at the time was a member of Fleetwood Mac. And on their album Tango in the Night, they had a song called Big Love. And unlike early Fleetwood Mac, Big mm-hmm. Love has a kind of 80s pop production sound to it. It has some sound effects like things going on in it. And, you know, it's is it, what it is. It's of the era of that 80s so Fleetwood Mac. It's been late 80s for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it certainly doesn't sound out of place for the era. And if you listen to the whole album of Tango in the Night, it's, it fits in the context of the album. However, Lindsay Buckingham has played this. Uh, there's certainly uh, there's one version on YouTube which I've which you can find, and I have mm-hmm. it on like a Fleetwood Mac like greatest hits compilation type thing as well. He plays this by himself. Big love. He sings it, and then he plays guitar. He's playing a electric classical guitar, and he's playing all the parts of the song on that guitar. Mm-hmm. And his guitar playing on this song is amazing. I mean. I wish I could play this song as well as he could because it's all finger picking and it's like rhythm and bass and stuff like that. Stuff that my brain can't even begin to comprehend. It's very kind of a swing kind of song to it. Yeah, it's, it's such a great thing. And then, then wow. I mean, and the, the, the solo, if you like, is the bit in the middle where he's, he's playing. So he's playing the, yeah. the, the middle of the song. But I don't know. This version is so good. It is so much better than the original. 
And I've never heard that, but that sounds cool. I mean, I don't know much about him. I mean, I know about the relationship problems and the the drama of Fleetwood Mac when it comes to Stevie Nicks and um, Lindsey Buckingham, but I don't know much about his guitar playing, but I would imagine, I mean, they're known for being kind of like, you know, an iconic sound to begin with. He's got to be raw talent. Right. Like I would just. Oh, so that's 100%. Cool. And I, I will make sure I post this video up to all of the, uh, the Twitter yeah. and to the Facebook and all that kind of stuff, because it's just so impressive. And it's so much better than the original version of the song. He also has really cool hair. Yeah. I, I think that <laughs> 65% of his guitar tone actually does come from his hair. I, I mean, it's pretty fair. I mean, it's something to do with it. Cause I mean, look at Brian May, the hair never changes. The guitar just gets better. It, your hair affects your ability to play. It's true. He's one thing I found though, his hair went white with age mm-hmm. and his tone became a little bit more shrill and they happened oh. about the same time. See it, it. It's related. Everybody it's science. You heard it here first. Your hairstyle affects your ability to play guitar. Yeah, or maybe it's the kind of treble booster he's using. But anyway, it's his hair. It's his <laughs> Tim, hair. Don't ruin it. Don't tell Ian. Ian will think he needs to chop off his hair. <laughs> Let me tell Ian you, husbands, Ian husbands will never, ever chop off his hair. <laughs> he He's had that hair. I've known Ian for maybe, I don't know, probably 30 years or something at this point. I've known him more or less my whole adult life. That hair mm-hmm. has never changed. It will never change. <laughs> it's... The hair makes the man. It's obvious, Tim. That's why it affects your guitar playing. And if Ian chopped off the hair, his guitar playing would go downhill. It's obvious. Should have thought of it sooner. Exactly. I I mean, I I was trying to think when my hair was long and curly, whether my guitar playing was different. Well, I was younger and I wasn't as experienced (laughs) when I had longer curly hair. Well, Tim, you got to start growing it out and see if your if your guitar playing changes. Like do like a study. I, I don't know. Um, when you when you get into the the short hair realm, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can go long again. And plus, my hair's going gray, and I don't want to be one of these guys with like straggly <laughs> part gray long hair. Is that wrong? Would your would your guitar playing get more shrill as you just said, <laughs> as it turns gray? <laughs> I, I, I I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I possibly. I think you know. I, I I try and have a very warm, rich sound. I mean, I don't know if I want to. I want to lose that with some straggly gray, graying man hair. I don't know. I mean, if it makes you play like Lindsey Buckingham and this specific song that you apparently love, <laughs> you never know. It might be worth it. Anyway, we'll let Hannah decide if she wants you to go full gray, <laughs> growing it out. <laughs> She, she's not fast. Uh, she, she'd like me to grow a big beard, in all honesty. Okay. Well, I'll call her later and be like, Hannah, figure out how do you make his hair go gray. We'll see. We'll do an official study <laughs> to find out <laughs> it affects Tim's guitar playing <laughs> for the No Name Music House. And with that total 100% complete bit of science backed by um, some medical journals um, <laughs> <laughs> and NASA. that I don't know the day of, of right now, and, um, and NASA and the Department of Health and human services. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.